What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports College Football and NFL Draft Podcast. I am your host, Matt Miller, joined on a beautiful Wednesday. Actually, not. It's like tornadoes here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my man, Connor Rogers. And yeah, I did not sleep last night. Two dogs plus tornado warnings all night. Not a great recipe for a good night's sleep. The house full of kids, absolute pandemonium yep. at the Miller household, and somehow pandemonium across the NFL right now. Not when you expect it in May. We're going to talk a little bit more about this Chet's GM search in the middle. We have to. We have to in the middle of May. A Peyton Manning's name being tossed into the into the fray. Probably not anything close to true. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, you know a veteran in Gerald McCoy being cut and already some injuries piling up in the NFL. And we're going to actually uh, do something really interesting on the show. We're going to do our non-round one impact rookies. So me and Matt are each going to pick someone from rounds two, three, four, five, six, and seven that we think will be instant impact rookies. And we're going to catch up on a ton of your draft on draft questions this week. Yeah, that's what I like most about this time of year is we can get caught up on your guys' draft on draft questions because there's not always a lot going on. So it's a good way for us to continue to interact with you guys and then also it it honestly gives us some content so we ain't mad at you for doing that but let's jump in right here man with the Jets it I think it came out uh Sunday night that the Jets were interested in Peyton Manning uh pro football talk I I believe are the first people who came out with this story it has been walked back now excuse me it has been walked back now Ian Rappaport basically saying no they're not interested in Peyton Manning so I I wanted to know though, like what did you feel like when you get that Bleacher Report app alert on Sunday and it's like Jets are interested in Peyton Manning? Are you like, fuck yeah, we are, or are you like, <laughs> no, Jesus, why? No, I think I've just reached the point where I know what's fake news. Honestly, you see that and you go and, and listen. The Johnsons are they star chase all the time. I mean, it's no secret that they were the ones that signed Le'Veon Bell, or at least you know really pressed to sign Le'Veon mm-hmm. Bell. They've done these kind of things in the past. One, the chance of Peyton Manning ever coming to work for the Jets just seems slim to none. Two, I've heard that he is not a part of, you know, their interview list. So it was kind of like, all right, I don't really understand this at all. And three, I mean, would it be exciting? I guess I I think once again, I don't know how Peyton Manning would be as a personnel guy. So I'd be pretty neutral on the hire as a whole, besides the credibility it would bring. So it just adds to another layer of the circus that this Jets main news has been, Matt. Yeah, this, I, I apologize. It didn't come out Sunday. I think it was Friday because Mello and I talked about it on radio Saturday morning. And I, I basically said the same thing as you. Like, I've heard a lot about Peyton Manning and what his post-football plan is going to be. And I remember it's, all, it's been a couple of years now. It's not like he just retired. And I, I said when we were doing radio, it was like, I don't think that Peyton would come back to be a GM. I think he would come back to be a team president, or I think he would come back to own a team. He just does not, to me, seem like the kind of guy that's going to come back in and work for someone else, especially to work for the Johnsons. And I mean, zero disrespect to Jets fans, but your ownership situation is a mess. And I think Peyton Manning is too smart of a guy uh, after, I mean, he plays for, you know, Jim Irsay, plays for John Elway. Those are very stable situations that he had there. And now to, if you're going to come back and be a GM, you're not going to want to embarrass yourself. You're not going to want to tarnish your legacy. You're going to want a very stable situation. And the Jets just aren't offering that. So I know it seems like unlikely right now, like there's not, you know, this obvious spot for Manning to jump back into the NFL as a team president or something. And and I think that's why we haven't seen him do that. I know there was, you know, rumors when the Panthers sale happened that maybe he would jump in there before John Robinson took over the Tennessee Titans general manager job. He was linked there as maybe even a potential part owner. Same with the Cleveland Browns. 
But as of now, it just seems like Manning really likes doing what he's doing. A little bit of media. You know, he's still involved enough in football, but I don't feel like we need to just automatically connect Peyton Manning to job openings. It doesn't feel that desperate. Also, why would he want to just go be like the savior GM of a franchise? The amount of stress that that brings right now, it's just not something that he has to do. One more thing to add on here. All these Adam Gase connections, I think, are being really overblown. Whether it is the Peyton Manning one, sure, he might have called Chris Johnson and vouched for him as a coach. That doesn't mean he wants to go work with him in that building. That's a big one there. The Joe Douglas thing, I know a lot of people you know, said he's the front runner or the favorite. I think even that connection has been overblown. Sure, they cross paths in Chicago, but I would be really surprised if Joe, if this is the job that Joe Douglas decides to take. And I'm not saying he's ruled out. I'm sure he's right at the top of their candidates list. But if you're Joe Douglas looking around for a team that you built that has won a Super Bowl or has, you know, is going to compete a lot this year, has a franchise quarterback there, think you could be basically in a Chris Ballard type situation after this year where you pick your job. I don't know why going to work for Adam Gase would be the smartest thing here with the kind of power play Gase has pulled with the New York Jets. Now, the one thing I will say that can make this job really interesting is if Chris Johnson is truly hiring the GM and the GM and the head coach report to him separately, can they get a big name GM by giving him the power to find his own coach after one year of Adam Gase? That's the only way I could see it working, which is insane that we we're already at this point. But guess what? We are. Well, and that's I would. You're very right. You're just you are very right because I don't think you're going to be able to get a Joe Douglas, Lewis Riddick, Daniel Jeremiah, Mike Borgonzi, Ed Dodds. You're not going to get those guys, and, and they are going to come in and have to work with Adam Gase. So I, I think you're absolutely right. They would. It would be like Chris Ballard when he took the Colts job and Chuck Pagano was there. Chuck Pagano is highly respected, a, a great man, struggling as a coach. And Ballard basically had a year to evaluate him and say, okay, like you're not the guy for this job. We're going to move on. We're going to go in a different direction. I would think any GM candidate that they bring in would have to have that same power of, okay, we're going to evaluate Adam Gase and see what happens. So it might be a year. It might be two years. But I I think one thing that could work in your favor as a Jets fan and, and to all our Jets fan listeners, I know there's a lot of them, is that there has not been a lot of turnover in the front office world as of late. Think of this last year. Reggie McKenzie was fired in Oakland. They hired uh, Mike Mayock. The Jets is the only other open job. So we have a lot of good candidates. So we've mentioned that article that I wrote that came out uh, Saturday morning with the top candidates for GM jobs. There are good guys out there who could be GMs, and there aren't many openings. So unless you believe, you know, that somehow, some way, the, you know, the Broncos job, the Jags job, the Buccaneers job, unless those are going to open up, There just aren't as many openings as there are candidates right now that could help the Jets because there could be a guy sitting out there thinking I'm getting older. There are all these hot young candidates. Maybe it's time for me to take a job as opposed to trying to wait, wait it out for a perfect situation because there's just no guarantee that's going to happen. So I think that could play into and work well for the Jets. If someone does get a little bit panicky, I saw one thing come across this morning. Uh, Manish Mehta tweeted it out. I think you retweeted it, Connor. And I, I, this just surprises me. And I, th- so Adam Gase has fired a scout, which is weird considering that there's all this talk about like, nah, I'm not the GM. Like I'm, I don't want to be the GM. I don't want to run the team. I just want to coach the team. And now he's firing scouts, which scouts get fired. That happens. The GM gets fired. Scouts are going to get fired. That's how it works. But I think it is a little surprising that Adam Gase is now 
firing scouts. Um, and, and seems like uh, I think Manish used the word he wanted to streamline the scouting department, which is never a good idea. I think if anything, you want more scouts, more people out there trying to find players for you. So I am worried. And I will say this. I, I liked Adam Gase. I, I've said that he would of of the candidates that were realistic. He would have been my pick because I thought he could bring in a good staff. I thought he could help Sam Darnold. I don't want Adam Gase as my football czar, though. I wanted him helping Sam Darnold not running the whole damn show. I know. It's absolutely hilarious when you look at how he's, you know, completely fooled Chris Johnson, the owner, until Woody Johnson comes back and probably literally fires everyone, including his brother at that point. And I think when you look at it, just the moves he's made, you could see, I mean, yes, he fired a scout. Yes, they got Mike McCagnin and his VP of player personnel, Brian Heimerdinger, out of there together. It's just Gase wants all the power and he wants to feel safe and he wants to cover all his bases. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to promote the people uh, probably around him or, or hire the people around him that he feels comfortable with. That's what Adam Gase is going to do. And honestly, in the end, it'll be a shock to me if he's very successful here for a very long time. The only person I could see saving that is Sam Darnold squarely on his shoulders. So it's going to be interesting here. I'm not a believer. Um, I wanted Todd Munkin from day one, and I think there would have been a lot of less a lot less turmoil with Todd Munkin, who's going to absolutely light it up with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland this year. And I just think Adam Gase is the kind of guy that points the finger around the room and eventually it's going to come back to him. And I think it wouldn't even shock me if this was a one and done kind of year. Yeah, it, it it's starting to feel that way, isn't it? All right, let's move on. Uh, this is not a Jets podcast as much as it has been in the last They're week. They're in the news this May, so we're going to talk about it. Yeah, and that's that's how it goes. We are going to talk about whatever's in the news. If it's, you know, the Niners, the the Chiefs, the Colts, the, the Titans, I don't care who it is, we're going to talk about it. And speaking of which, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Gerald McCoy, who forever has been the face of that team, was officially released. There had been talk about, you know, contract. Uh, he was being paid more than they basically valued him at. He is 31 years old fairly recently. This will be his 31-year-old season. He is a player that was uh, the third overall pick of the 2010 draft. He has been a dynamic player. Now, I think you can look at, at his year last year, not the best season. I mean, you could start to see a little bit of a slowdown, but Gerald McCoy is still an impact player. Um, and, and I don't think you can just look at the stat sheet and be like, oh, he had this many sacks. It's more about what he gives you as an interior pass rusher. If you plug him into a defensive line that already has a couple guys, then I think he could be still an impact. So when I look at fits for him, obviously the Patriots are a fit, but I think the Colts, and I think the Browns are both really good fits for what Gerald McCoy brings to the table. I think so, too. I think he's obviously ring chasing right now. New England's interesting because it does make sense. But you look at what they have there right now. They brought in Michael Bennett. They just re-signed Danny Shelton. Mike Pinnell is, was a very good run stopper for the Jets over the last mm -hmm. two years. They got him there now. He's Don't sleep on him. I mean, he could be a very, very productive player in that system. So I'm curious to see if New England you know, has the need there. Although for McCoy, it makes a lot of sense. I think really just go after go for a team where you can not even just be a rotational player. You obviously want to be a starter, but in terms of money, you know, the Saints and the Rams, it might be tough to make it work there. That's why you kind of lean towards more towards the Browns and Colts because they have the money to make it work. But McCoy's going to have a lot of suitors. He's going to find a home right away. I think veteran teams that are chasing championships are always looking for reliable players in the trenches. And that's exactly what Gerald McCoy has been. Yeah, he really has been. So if, yeah, this feels like something that, 
Remember the Eagles kind of did this for a while. It's like, oh, let's take on a Chris Long. Let's take on a Michael Bennett. Let's bring in these guys who maybe don't have a lot of time left, but can still be a high impact player. With Gerald McCoy, you're getting a leader, a lot of character, and someone who probably at this stage of his career doesn't know his value. He does understand his worth. He's going to come in and, and work hard to, like you said, get that ring. So I think that he is someone uh, that, that will be interesting as a signing. Um, I'll be, I know we'll be watching to see where he goes. And I, I wonder now with Gerald McCoy out there and Dominican Sue is still out there. So you have these two guys who both very, very good players. Um, but uh, both at one time, I think that you could have said they were two of the best defensive tackles in football. They're both now available as free agents and they are probably going to play off of each other to some extent to see, you know, which one gets signed first. Um, it, it, it could shut down the market. I've heard Sue kind of wanted to stay on the West coast. He liked it out there, but it's interesting because in the 2010 NFL draft, Sue was the second pick. Gerald McCoy was the third pick. So these guys have been tied to each other really since their college days. Yeah, they really have. It's, it's funny to see the parallels there and just to see where they are now. And the biggest takeaway here, they're both productive players still. I mean, they could be yeah. impact players for a team with championship aspirations. We talked about it earlier in the show, already some you know crappy injuries uh, early on here throughout OTAs. A big one in Washington, Reuben Foster tears his ACL. This sounds like a more significant knee injury than just an ACL tear. It sounds like there could be some serious structural damage across the board there. Reuben Foster, I mean, Washington was the team to give him a second chance. You could make that if you will. You know how I feel on this podcast about players with that kind of history at Kansas City somehow not getting any media attention for not even really dealing with the Tyree Kill situation right now. Something we're going to talk about as that continues on. But back to Reuben Foster, I was a believer in this team, I think because of the pieces they had on defense and that they just need Dwayne Haskins or Case Keenum to be a game manager. Matt, this is a gigantic loss for that defense. It really is. They, I mean, they they believe firmly that he was the answer at that middle linebacker position for them. So um, it, it's going to put a lot of pressure on. I mean, they didn't draft anyone. They just Cole Holcomb in the fifth round. They were so convinced that Mason Foster and Reuben Foster would work together at that middle linebacker spot. So after those two, it's a lot of late round picks. So this could be an area where they try to bring in a veteran free agent, but it is a gigantic hole for them in the middle, in the middle of the defense. We're probably going to see Landon Collins play a lot more in the box this season because of this, which, um, you know, he's obviously very talented at, but I think you signed him hoping that he could be more of a, a rangy matchup type player. Now you're going to need him, need him to help a lot in the run game. You know, the Eagles are going to run the ball. You know, the Cowboys are going to run the ball. You know, the Giants are going to run the ball. So that defensive line is going to have a lot more pressure put on them uh, now with this loss. I don't really see anyone in their linebacker core that you could shift inside necessarily. Um, Ryan Anderson was the second round pick back in 2017 coming out of Alabama. And he did at times play as kind of like a, an all over linebacker, but I think he is a much better pass rusher and, and that's what they expect him to be. So it is a gigantic hole for a defense that looked pretty dang good on paper with the additions that they had made through free agency. The last couple of drafts, they had had really started to look pretty good. But now, I mean, I, to me, I know this seems like maybe a, a stretch to, oh, a middle linebacker got hurt. I think Washington's probably the favorite to finish last in that division, even though this is it is a good team. I, I like their roster. That's just a very tough division. All right, it is time for Impact Rookies Not Drafted in Round 1. Me and Matt have an opposite list here. Let's kick it off with the obvious ones, the easy ones. Round number two, Matt, who are you going with this year in this rookie class? 
Yeah, so we're going to go one in each round, man. In round two, I'm going to go Greedy Williams. This might seem easy, and I promise I won't give you many obvious ones on this list. But Greedy Williams, I think he starts for the Browns at corner opposite Denzel Ward, giving them size, speed, strength out on the edge. I mean, in college, this dude was barely tested. I could not believe he fell in the draft as far as he did. But I think Greedy Williams has a monster impact uh, that secondary is going to be pretty dang good with Greedy back there with Ward, Morgan Burnett, Demarius Randall, and the pass rush that they have with Olivier Vernon, Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson. This defense is loaded, so Greedy's not going to be asked to be the guy right out of the gate. I'm going on the other side of the ball. Seattle Seahawks, DK Metcalf. He almost didn't even, you know, get, he barely got out of the, yeah. barely got drafted out of the second round here. It was quite the fall for DK Metcalf. And after the Doug Baldwin, you know, medical retirement, he almost is the guy now in this offense. You have him, Tyler Lockett. It's going to be really interesting to see the connection between him and Russell Wilson in this offense. I know this team wants to run the football a lot, but at the end of the day, it always feels like it's Russ against the world out there making plays. If DK can stay healthy, man, I still think he was the most physically talented wide receiver in that draft. I think the upside was just too high to pass on. I love that Seattle rolled the dice, and now they need him to be ready to go, be ready to be an impact player on the field, and that's exactly what I expect him to be this year. If he caught 10 touchdowns, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be either. He's going to have to be the man there because I don't think Tyler Lockett can be. I would also keep an eye on Greg Jennings there. I, I almost listed him, but I didn't want to do two players at the same position on the same team. So keep an eye on Greg, Greg Jennings. Gary Jennings. Round, uh, Gary Jennings, excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Jennings. My goodness. All right, round three, I went David Montgomery to the Bears. I know we keep saying this. I believe that he could be the rookie of the year, uh, offensively at least, because they they have a huge need here. Tariq Cohen cannot be an every-down-touches guy. You want to save him a little bit, use him as a runner, a receiver, as a motion guy. David Montgomery especially like the second half of the year. I think they're going to have to rely on a lot with his physicality, his catching ability, his speed, just the total package that he brings to the table. He should not have been a third round pick. And I think the bears are going to prove a lot, a lot, a lot of people wrong by making him a featured back again, probably in the second half of the rookie season, but he's going to have a, a monster load to carry as they get into the playoff run. It's funny for so long, we connected David Montgomery to the chiefs. And then he goes to an offense from a guy that is from the Kansas city chiefs. This is just one of those perfect value, perfect landing spot situations. I think he's going to be an absolute stud there in Chicago. Another guy that I think is going to be a stud on the defensive line, Zach Allen for the Cardinals went in round three. It's very interesting, Matt. It came out that they had a first round grade on Zach Allen in this draft. So, and I'm not too shy. I mean, I had him in my top 30 and I think when you look at it sure, for what he does, do you value him in the first round? Not a lot of teams will, but to get him right at the top of round three, he was the 65th overall pick there. So, you know, top 70 pick, I think he can get on the field right away. They have veteran leadership there and Terrell Suggs and Chandler Jones. This is a really good landing spot. I like that this defense has a nice mix of veteran players and young impact players. And I think that's exactly what Zach Allen is. Yeah. And I'm going to roll right into my round four guy. And that's great gains for the Rams. And I feel very similarly about, about gains. Obviously I had Allen ranked quite a bit higher than where he was drafted, but I think with gains, the role that he is going to be asked to fill next to Aaron Donald, you got Michael Brockers, Dante Fowler. He's going to be asked to maybe even at times be a two-gap player, but basically to draw attention away from Aaron Donald, to be a powerful force, someone who you're not expecting him to get five yards deep into the backfield and make sacks. You're expecting him to occupy 
rushing lanes, and you're expecting him to to occupy the center as often as possible so teams can't double the best defender in football in Aaron Donald. So I think Greg Gaines, it won't show up on the stat sheet, but smart people will look at his impact and understand that he is having a huge role, a lot of responsibility in that defense. And I've heard already they expect him to be a starter. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those big uglies in there that's just doing all the dirty work, getting no love. He might not get any of the star treatment, but he's somebody that they need up front there that's going to be on the field right away. I love what this Rams team did in this draft. They saw their areas in need and got guys that could be on the field right away. A lot of West Coast guys there to plug in with those L.A. Rams. All right, moving on to the New Orleans Saints. I guess I don't want to call them Rams rivals, but that that's going to be uh, yeah, a, I think a, they some are. bitter feelings <laughs> there right now. They did pretty well for themselves in round four as well. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, what a slide for him, but what this guy can do in coverage, he can handle so many roles that you can see him getting on the field right away this year, whether it's as that you know, kind of nickel, big nickel player, whether it's a, you know, over the top safety. I thought his tackling got a lot better where he can come down and blow up screens and make plays against the run if need be. And there's already really a lot of positive reports from the Saints coaching staff on him and OTAs and rookie minicamp. So for Chauncey Gardner Johnson, it probably very disappointed that he didn't go in round one, two or three. But I think in the long run, this is an amazing landing spot for him for a team that really has true championship aspirations this year. I really like his role. And again, I know when the, the pick happened, we were like, I cannot believe this guy fell to round four. And I, I know it came out. Maybe it was just that he didn't interview that well. So I really, really like what he's going to be able to do. And, and he's such a chess piece for a secondary that's already really good. So it's like, just plug him in. He's not going to be asked to be Earl Thomas back there. He's going to be asked to fill a role. And, and we've seen before they had a lot of success with rookies. Remember, Marshawn Lattimore was like the best corner in the NFL his rookie season. So that's a great pick. Round five, DeAndre Walker with the Tennessee Titans. He's going to be asked to play that edge role opposite Harold Landry, maybe as a situational or third down rusher right out of the gate. But I, I've already heard that Mike Vrabel has taken an interest in DeAndre Walker and is kind of working with him one-on-one, trying to coach him up a little bit. We had DeAndre on the podcast. He's a fun guy to talk to, a smart kid. Uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder now because he fell a little bit in the draft. I think he could be someone who maybe he only has five or six sacks, but can fill a very important spot for the Titans who, you know, opposite Landry, they don't have a whole lot at that outside linebacker position. Um, Cameron Wake is getting a lot older. We haven't really seen anything from Camelia Correa since he was drafted out of Boise State. So I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, we see Harold Landry and DeAndre Walker as those starting outside linebackers for the Titans. And I think when you look at a guy like Vrabel, when he makes that kind of draft pick on day three, you turn your eyes and go, well, if he thinks he could be a player, then you kind of believe him. That's how it goes with those guys. And this kind of goes to the same for me here with my fifth rounder in Hunter Renfro. Uh, John Gruden, he knows how to use these slot receivers. Hunter Renfro for a fifth round pick might be on the field from day one out of the gate. They got Antonio Brown there, Tyrell Williams. That's going to create a lot of space for Hunter Renfro. And I think this is an improving offensive line. Derek Carr is a guy that has been prone to the check down at times. And yes, that'll be Josh Jacobs sometimes, maybe Jalen Richard, but when you look at it here, Hunter Renfro is going to be that guy creating space, catching everything underneath and over the middle. So I just can't find a bigger impact player in the fifth round than him. I think he can easily catch what 50 passes this year in that yeah. offense. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. It honestly wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, they, they have a lot of talent at the receiver position and he's going to do that Wes Welker thing where it's like, Oh, okay. AB is taking the top off this. I'm just going to sneak under the middle and catch the ball and, and pick up five or six yards every time. So 
Uh, I, I really like Hunter Renfro. The picture of the rookie premiere where he's like standing there with his receding hairline with all these like 21. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. It, if you haven't seen it, you have to Google it because it is it is worth a good five minutes of a laugh. Round six. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take over for Mello here since he can't be with us. I'm going to pick a Chiefs player. And this one is honestly because I do believe he will have a huge impact. And I would have said this had he gone to any of the creative offensive teams. But Darwin Thompson out of Utah State, I know in our pre-draft process and, and maybe even on draft day, I said he was the most elusive running back that I scouted last year. So now you put him in an offense that loves speed. They love space. And if Tyreek Hill is is cut or suspended, Darwin Thompson could fill in that role as a kick returner, as a punt returner, as a gadget guy offensively. So uh, like we were just talking about with, with Hunter Renfro, with the Chiefs, you're going to have all these guys taking the top off the defense. And you have Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in football, drawing the attention of safeties. Someone who can shake tacklers in the open field like Darwin Thompson could have a monster impact. And we talked about it earlier in the show, Washington with a huge loss and Ruben Foster, but I thought they had a lot of big gains in this draft, whether it is Dwayne Haskins, Terry McLaren. Uh, this is a wide receiver group that unfortunately can be very injury prone with Josh Doxson and Paul Richardson expected to take on starter roles. Those guys don't always stay healthy. And that's why I go around six here. My guy, Kelvin Harmon, I could easily see him on the field in Jay Gruden's offense halfway through the season. I'm not going to say he'll be a superstar right away because this is a team that will be held back a little bit by the quarterback position, especially if Case Keenum is out there for the long haul this year. But I like Kelvin Harmon's game. I think he could be a possession receiver that picks up the tough yards after the catch. This, I know the fall was very disappointing. A lot of people scratching their heads at it, but sometimes you fall into better situations. And I think this is a team where he truly can carve out a role in those top four wide receivers to start out the year and will be one injury away from being on the field. Yeah, they they need all the help they can get at receiver. Um, you know, there's just not that go-to guy there that you feel great about. I think losing Jamison Crowder is going to have a bigger impact there than a lot of people have given it credit for. So very different player, Kelvin Harmon, but uh, he and Scary Terry are going to have big shoes to fill. Last round, round seven, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings. Chris Boyd uh, coming out of Texas, someone who I was a little surprised he fell the way to round seven. There were coverage lapses at times, but the reason I went here is we've heard so many rumors about Xavier Rhodes could be on the trade block. Trey Waynes could be on the trade block. I love Mike Hughes. I thought Holton Hill had a really good rookie season, but of course there's a ton of off-field questions there. So McKenzie Alexander, I, I really liked him coming out of Clemson back in the day too, but I think Chris Boyd could work his way into this corner rotation, especially in a nickel spot. If we see any of those corners move, so if Trey Waynes is traded, if Xavier Rhodes is traded, I think Chris Boyd can work himself into that top four spot at, at one of those corner positions. It's not easy finding an impact player in round seven. It really nope. isn't. But we talked Gerald McCoy out, Terry Beckner Jr. in question mark. I mean, listen, Todd Bowles is somebody who is going to rotate his defensive lines like crazy and try to find some kind of role for everyone, even if that's, you know, 20 30% kind of snaps. Beckner Jr. is a guy that if his knees didn't get, you know, banged up over time and I believe multiple surgeries, he probably would have been an impact kind of player in the draft in the top three rounds. It didn't work out that way. He's been hurt. But you look at this team he's going to now and maybe the doors open for him to steal a spot, steal some snaps, whether that is as a, you know, a run defender up front for Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles likes very, very heavy fronts. So, I look at Beckner Jr. and the door is open right now for a Bucks team that 
they have a lot of question marks on this defensive line, a lot of holes in this defensive line, a new staff that will be evaluating everybody in the same exact way. Beckner Jr., the rookie, could come in and make some plays. Yeah, man, there were so many moments at Mizzou where it looked like he was just going to break out and be a Sheldon Richardson type guy, and it just never got there. But he is absolutely someone to watch now that Gerald McCoy is out of the picture. All right, guys, it is draft on draft time. A lot of them again this week, which I think you'll see is probably a staple unless we have an interview throughout the summer. Let's jump right in, Connor, before I get blown away by a tornado. <laughs> I shouldn't joke. I'm not even joking about it. It's just yeah, you guys are going to hear the audio. Uh, Mason Whitlock, our guy, draft on draft. He and our another listener and the Oreo have a bet. Who has the better rookie year between Miko Hartman and Paris Campbell? Who do we think has the better season? So Miko goes to goes to the Chiefs. We've talked a lot about uh, the impact that he's going to have to have there, depending on what happens with uh, Tyreek Hill. I think that puts a big question mark over this. But Paris Campbell goes to the Colts, where he's going to be asked to eventually replace T.Y. Hilton. Both speed guys. Uh, I'm going to let you pick first here. Oh, I mean, this is a no-brainer. Miko Hardman. Better player, better system, better fit, better opportunity. Yeah. I just... I. Paris Campbell has not shown me he's a vertical receiver yet. Great gadget player. Great gadget yeah. player. And maybe maybe the offense was holding him back. I I know that in that Colts draft room, they believe he, uh, you know, great work ethic character can be coached up into becoming a vertical threat. They feel like there's more tricks in the bag for Paris Campbell. I have already seen the tricks in the bag from Miko right. Hardman. And guess what? He's playing with the best quarterback in football. So, yeah, I, I didn't want to be a homer and go first, but I'm going to take Miko Hardman as well. Uh, and this isn't just because he went to the Chiefs. I think Miko Hardman's a better receiver than Paris Campbell. Well, Paris Campbell, like, I haven't seen him catch the ball. And you mentioned, like, oh, he has vertical speed. We haven't seen him be a vertical route runner. I think, I think Melo kept saying this uh, before the draft was like, Paris Campbell would be great if he can learn how to catch. And that's the key with him. Can he, can they coach that up? Can they improve that? But I think Miko Hardman. He might end up being the steal of this draft. And that's, again, that's coming from conversations with scouts about they cannot, like, there were so many teams mad that this guy went to Kansas City and gets to play with the best quarterback in football, Pat Mahomes, because they're just so perfect together. And I don't know if you saw the tweet. Miko posted a picture of, like, him jumping and catching a ball, and he was, like, coming soon. And Pat and, was and like, Pat tweeted, running. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you, if you'll, if you, uh, you know, will quit stopping and just run. So they're going to be, that's going to be a fun pairing. So I, I'll take me Cole. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Anta Oreo, big Colts fan there. Uh, Patrick Chamberlain, another of our stick to football hall of fame listeners. If you had to pick a college coach other than Lincoln Riley, Matt Campbell, Nick Saban, or Debo Sweeney to coach an NFL team right now, who do you got? So Ooh. take away Basically, the four that everyone would pick. Oh, Chris Peterson. Yeah, it's easy, isn't I, it? Yeah, very easy. I love Chris Peterson. I don't think he'll ever leave, to be honest with you. There's no reason to. Uh, he's built that program He really up. doesn't. I mean, what he's done at Washington after what he did at Boise State. Uh, I mean, unless he... I, I don't know. I just don't see him leaving. I really don't. West Coast guy. Built up a program. Keeps recruiting great. Develops talent. I mean, he develops three-star talent into five-star players all the time. I, I like him a lot, and I don't know, I don't know if he would transition well into the NFL. But he, yeah, he would be the guy that I would pick, though, if I had to take the it roll the dice on one. So if I can't take him, I would take David Shaw at Stanford. So we're both taking back twelve guys. I just think he has the right, like mental makeup, the right, you know, he's poised, he's smart. 
Um, he, he's disciplined. So I think he would be one. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern would be another. I'll tell you one. My dis- tell you Matt one that Rule. will be one. Scott Frost will be an NFL head coach. You think he will be? Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, I like Scott Frost a lot. I know he went four and eight, but that's how many guys take over a program that's an absolute shambles and go four and eight. Matt, yeah, Matt Campbell I, went like three and nine or whatever his first year. Yeah, in Iowa State. I, I do think that they're going to be really good this year. I love their quarterback, uh, Adrian Martinez. Yep. He is a he is a stud. And so. They they played with a different edge at the end of the year. They started they, really to, they started to buy in to that the coach. Ohio State game. Yes. I think where it was like, ooh, like these boys, they're growing up on the job here a yep. little bit. Yep. So yeah, they're fun to watch. Uh, next question uh, from Christian Campbell, and he has two questions here. Who are our top five running backs for 2020 and our top five wide receivers? So Tuesday morning, my top 10 for the the 2020 draft came out. It is such a wide receiver heavy class. So I'll rip through those real quick. Jerry Judy is number one. Overall, Andy's my number one receiver. Then it's T Higgins, LaVisca Chenault, CD Lamb. uh, And then there is a little bit of a drop off for me. And I have Donovan Peoples-Jones in there as the fifth receiver. Henry Ruggs would be really, really close to that. Uh, Tylen Wallace would be up there as well from Oklahoma State. Uh, it's a good receiver class, and there will probably be a couple guys break out. At running back, another group where it's you're going to know all these names probably. Travis Etienne from Clemson. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. DeAndre Swift from Georgia. Uh, then let me scroll down here a little bit because I don't have him sorted. Maybe J.K. Keish- Dobbins, Keyshawn Ohio Vaughn State. in that yeah, conversation. Actually, he would be. I have Najee Harris from Alabama at five, oh, but Keyshawn Vaughn would that. absolutely be up there. I think he's the best senior running back by far. Keyshawn Vaughn would be. Yeah, I think so too. I, I can't wait to see him in Mobile. That's something I want to talk about with Jim when he comes back on the show because I know he's already watching a lot of tape on these guys. And I think Vaughn was somebody that would have been a second round pick if he had declared. Little surprising that he opted to stay, but I mean, listen, do what's best for you. Nothing wrong with that. I'm with you, Matt. Those guys you went through, those are the top players. I mean, there's superstar potential in this class. When you look at this group of of skill players and running backs and wide receivers, I know we have a lot of listeners that are really into uh, dynasty leagues and dynasty drafts. This 2020 will be the year of the dynasty kind of players. Like the fan, it'll be fantasy football altering talent for the next decade. That's what kind of draft it, it really it really should be uh, quarterback. We're still like, eh. yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever. But yeah, you might have handful number one wide receivers where you don't even get one one most years and probably eight starting running backs. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's absolutely it crazy. crazy. All right. STF the Ocho. This count is hilarious. I have no idea who runs it or what it's about, but I love it. If you guys could hire someone else to announce the draft picks instead of Roger Goodell, who would it be? I would choose someone with a really thick accent from a different country and every year change the accent. Uh, I would pick Dave Chappelle to announce it because I think he would just like not really care who's who and like announce it in funny way. I would definitely go with Dave Chappelle. So I would go with Pat McAfee. Well, we'd be I, the, find he, I would like to get off the desk at some right. point of the night. Thank you <laughs> very much. Instead of 90 minute inch. Now he's hilarious. Yeah, no, he is amazing. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think Kevin Hart could do it like, oh and God. do it really well. Do it with he the does rock. everything well. <laughs> yeah, so good. So. That would be so good. Yeah, I'm down with that. So yeah, that's a good question. Good I mean, so anybody would be better than Goodell. Let's just be real. So probably something we should look into. All right, four more questions for Draft on Draft, and then we're out of here. Shane Merriman asked, 
Assuming Tyreek Hill will miss most, if not all of the season, how big of an impact will that have on Mahomes' game? If you could get a good value for him, I only, i.e. only give up a late-round pick, would you trade for John Ross to try to replace Hill's speed? So I would not trade for John Ross. They replaced Hill's speed as much as can be expected with Michael Hartman, and he's actually like a pretty exciting player. We talked about Darwin Thompson earlier. So how much of an impact will I have on Mahomes' game? His game would have to change. I, I think we saw last year there were a lot of times where, whether it was the protection fell apart or, or whatever, Mahomes knew that that Ty could bail him out to some extent. You know, he's he has such a Pat has great field vision and he has one of the strongest arms in football. So when pressured and when it was those oh shit moments, he trusted Ty enough to I'm just going to throw the ball up as far as I can and my guy's going to go get it and it it works. So I, I think that part of his game will have to change. It, and that's just part of Pat's development anyway. So it, it might actually benefit him in the long run. But I, I do think that it it would have a major impact. I'm not doubting Mahomes in any way. I, I think he is smart enough. He's driven enough to to continue developing to the point that you don't want a lot of those just bailout balls. But, you know, for a, a first year starter, that was a pretty nice band-aid to have. Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, that's one of the better wide receivers in football. It's There's no way around it. But at the end of the day, I think the weird thing that people are kind of forgetting in this is that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football. Pat Mahomes still has Travis Kelsey. They got me Cole Hardman. It's yeah, it's not going to be easy, but let's not act like the guy didn't just throw what 50 touchdowns last year in his first year as a starter. He's 23 years old. I I think he'll be okay and figure it out. And I think me Cole Hardman is going to be a star, which is going to be pretty awesome to watch. I really do too. Yeah. This next one from it means no Corey's. All right. Excluding rookies who are stuck behind inferior veteran starters, drew lock, Joe Flacco, who is the best backup quarterback in the NFL right now? It took me a second to think about this one. And then I was like, Oh, duh. It's Teddy Bridgewater. I think. Oh yes. That's gotta be it. Right. I, I mean, and I thought about this for probably 10 minutes. I was driving in this morning and I was like, best backup quarterback. Yeah, it, I really think it might be. You know who's so, sneaky in the conversation? And I know we shit on him all the time, but it's just the nature of it. Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, he's a really good backup. He I is. mean, to have him as your number two is... He's not a great player, but he's a good number two. Yeah. Uh, the back, backup quarterback situation in football is not pretty. Not no, pretty. it's not. Uh, Dwayne no. Haskins, and it, like you said, you don't count the... The rookies. The rookies, like Dwayne Haskins and, and Drew Locke, of course... Uh, I think that Drew count. Stanton is like a, a, a really quietly good backup. You know, he's always, you always hear about like, he's such a smart coach. Like he'll be a coach one day and he, he's just like a really good locker room guy. But it, I think if he had to play, he'd be okay. Tyrod. Tyrod's another good one. Yeah. Oh shit. Jacoby Brissett. Oh, forgot about that one. that's a great one. Yeah. Jacoby's got to go somewhere and start, man. I hope so. I hope it happens for him. I mean, I'm not saying they're doing wrong by him. They're doing the right thing by keeping him. But yeah. when is he going to get traded for something and actually get a chance? How about my guy, Nick Mullins? He's he's up there <laughs> somewhere, right? <laughs> You'll love this. You know your boy, Sion Fahey or Kean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't know my what his boy. name is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your boy. Um, he said that Nick Mullins has done more to warrant the starting job than Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, you know... <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God. I erupted. Erupted. Nope. nope. It's amazing. ESPN hired him at one point. It's fucking yeah, hilarious. I, I unfollowed him. I, I know we normally don't. Had talk you about have this the chance to unfollow him? He probably blocked you. 
Yeah, he didn't. I unfollowed him. He dropped the C word on Twitter. That's nice. Which, like, I understand he's from a different country. That might be, like, kind of acceptable there. But it was like, oh, yeah, why was I following this account still? So um, I've actually unfollowed quite a few people lately. It's been... It's been a very freeing moment for me. Miller's so cleansing of 2019. Right. <laughs> really All right. No, enough attention on idiots. Uh, Andrew Magnuson, how would you guys fix Florida State? Oh, I mean, that's not easy. I just want to say that. And I'm not saying they're in like absolute disarray. It's still, right. a, it's still a big time program. It's not easy. You need to get someone in there. You need to pay big money to get someone in there that's going to get all the talent from Florida. And they're just not getting all of it right now. Do you mean pay the money to the athletes? It's, it's a lot of everything, man. It's a so lot of everything. I, this is another one that I, I thought a lot about. Like, you have guys like Cam Akers, who they really didn't take advantage of last year. It's a really, really young team, um, especially, like, in the skill positions. Um, so I think, like you said, it, it's still a big-name program. The only way that they're going to get back on top is to win. And so I think you actually have to take advantage of the transfer portal. And this is not a joke, but I think you have to take advantage of the Miami. What exactly? What is almost free agency right now? College football. Look what Oklahoma's done. Baker was a transfer. Kyler was a transfer. Now they got Jalen hurts in there. So I think you have to obviously have the coaches that can recruit those guys in the transfer portal, but you can turn a program around fairly quickly right now. And you remember we, when we talked to Dana Holgerson at the senior bowl. That's what he said. Like at Houston, we're going to take a lot of transfers, especially early on as we get this thing built up. And I think that's what Florida State has to do as well. I think there's still a stigma in, in college football of like, oh, you have to take tra- transfer players. But it, it can work out so well. It's not like the old days of like, let's take 50 Juco kids and we're only going to have them for a year or two. And, and we're going to try to you know flip this really quickly. K-State used to be really good at that, of bringing in Juco guys. So I, th- I think it's more about trying to get you know, guys who, whether it's a second or third chance, like can still be very good players and can get on the field quickly and help you out. Without a doubt. I think it's something that they need to capitalize on because I think a lot of those players would be interested in going to Florida State. I mean, it's still Florida State. That's what it comes down to. Just once again, you look at what Manny Diaz has done in Miami right now. And that, yeah, there are some question marks. Of course, Tate Martell is a polarizing figure. They got a couple guys on that defensive line that have, not had the best go of it at times, but are immensely talented players. And and you look at someone like Gerald Willis, who they gave a second chance to and was phenomenal, made the most of it. Right. So I'm with you all the way, Matt. I think that really is the answer for them right now. Yeah, that, that I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm no expert on how to fix a college football team because I'm a Texas fan, but like that's where I would start a little bit. So, all right, last one. Bull Bittler, love this dude. Between Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, who will have more passing yards, more rushing yards, and more total yards in 2019. I'm going to get a little bit crazy here. I think Kyler has more of all. Really? Okay, I still think Lamar really will have more rushing yards. He, yeah, maybe. Although, He's probably going to get a lot of opportunities. Teams are going to... Uh, yeah. They're, eventually, teams you are going to be ready gonna for stop it. it. They're going to be ready for it. Now, I mean, this is what it comes down to. Lamar has to grow as a passer to open up running opportunities. Because when teams have to sit back against you, and that's why they drafted Hollywood Brown, it's going to open up more running lanes to scramble. Lamar is a great runner. Lamar is a great pure runner. Kyler is a great scrambler. There's a difference. Like Kyler can roll out and you're so scared of that howitzer that you sit back on your heels a little bit 
and then you blink, and he's already picked up 20 yards, and he slid or went out of bounds. Lamar is somebody where he's going to run the read option, and he can get tough yards. He can get to the corner. He could do a lot of different things like that. So I, I think Lamar will have more rushing yards. I think Kyler will have way more, way more passing and total yards. Yeah, that offense, man. I can't wait. I'm for one of the first times ever. I'm really excited for the preseason, and I know that like the so Cardinals are going to show a lot. But man, it is going to be it's going to be a lot of fun just to see, you know, to see Kingsbury, to see Garoppolo back, to see the Chiefs without Ty or with Ty or whatever. It's going to be there. Like, how are they so going to sell storylines if he comes back? Um, I I was talking to someone in Kansas City yesterday, and they were like, "It's been a month basically," and the NFL hasn't said anything. So I think everyone's just gonna. They're, that's what they're gonna do. And I don't know. I don't know what Veach Oof. and Andy Reid and Clark Hunt will do. I don't know. I really, I really have not talked to them about it at all. But I do think that at least people in Kansas City will say, "Well, the NFL didn't do anything about it, and he hasn't been charged with a crime." Like you already hear those talking points a lot, you know, like, well, he hasn't been charged with anything, man. That is, it's tough, man. That's not good. Yeah. It's uh, it's been quiet out here. No one's really talked about it. I think everyone's kind of quiet in the world. Yeah. You know, like the last thing that came out were were the text messages between Tyreek and his fiance, where she had said that she had hurt the boy. It's, yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. It is. Like, I think it, it sucks that, like, because we work in football and we're football fans, it feels like everyone has forgotten about the fact that a little boy got hurt. And, like, that's what should really matter. But we're, we're not a criminal justice podcast. so We're not. We'll let the NFL figure that out for now while we wait. It's going to be really interesting. Gonna yeah, be really it is going to be interesting. So. Very, very much so. All right, that is our show. Uh, Mello and I will be back Friday morning with a great program for you. I think a lot of college football is, will be talked about as we start to get ready for that season. Uh, so for Connor, this is Matt. We'll talk to you all real soon.